there's um, some different theories on the repetition of violence. Eric talked about the story of the man who was called gay and took a gun and went and killed um, several men out of anger. And um, Ruby told me of a film that's of a, a gay man going into prisons and interviewing men who had killed gay men. And one of, one of the men who was interviewed said, well, they called me gay. And there's this therapist whose name, of course, um, avoids me because I'm menopausal. <laughs> Who writes about the cycle of the cycle of abuse? The, she's um, German, and she um, Alice Miller. Alice Miller. Alice Miller, very famous therapist, who's written about the cycle of abuse, and it's really simple. It says that if you've been abused, you're likely to abuse. This is a very um, um, clear cut description of something that is um, quite um, easy to follow and to um, keep tabs on. Do you know? Cause, because it involves the law, both these examples. These people were imprisoned and their acts of violence were in some way named and labeled and have in some way been followed and categorized. So it's, so it's been easy to, to start to look at that particular set of relationships. <coughs> but when we, all of us here, listen to um, these words, I wonder if we wonder at our own cycle of violence. Not necessarily picking up the gun, but the places where we hurt. Through speech, or through non-action, or through action, or through our thoughts and <coughs> our feelings. Either hurting ourselves or hurting others. And what's so painful about starting to look at ourselves and considering places and ways in which we might hurt is that we're doing it in a culture that defines that investigation under the auspices of a church that names us automatically as evil and bad. That any any expression or acknowledgement of our ownership in a cycle of violence seems to bring with it some kind of moral imperative of not being human enough, of not being good enough, of, not, of really not being successful, of not being okay, of maybe even being a failure. And so, of course, 
it makes it quite difficult to further this investigation and to really look deeply into our hearts and into our relationships, into our workplace relationships and into our communities. It makes it difficult even to look into our spiritual communities because a secrecy builds up around this violence. The secrecy is institutionalized in prisons and behind the walls of our homes. It's called domestic violence. It's held in rooms labeled psychiatric and organizations called hospitals. It's sometimes acted out on the streets, but not for long before it's carted away again behind four walls. And I was just talking with someone today, and we talked about how in some spiritual organizations, when there's been some hurt, that also is not really talked about. And in some way or another, relegated to something called not spiritual. So the church calls it evil, a, a lack of what is human, and many spiritual organizations call it not spiritual. On top of this particular situation, we inherit the particular makeup of really wanting to alleviate the discomfort we experience from just being human and alive and the fact that often our minutes and days and months and years and sometimes much of our life is unsatisfactory. And we inherit the capacity to extend our hooks, extend our valencies into experiences that take us away from this inquiry. Not that that's necessarily bad, but nevertheless that often happens, so that a spiritual practice becomes a practice of blissful states, a spiritual practice becomes a practice of easy rhythmic breathing, of entertaining Dharma talks, of nice weather and good food, if it's you're on a residential retreat. A spiritual practice is a practice about love and those qualities of um, gentleness and bliss and rapture. A spiritual practice is about teachers who, who we feel comfortable with who look groovy. <laughs> Eric has talked quite a lot about the precepts this retreat and about the container of non-harming. And <clears throat> if we take a moment to acknowledge how painful it's been for us, those places where we've been hurt, where we haven't been acknowledged, where we have confronted prejudice, we understand 
the impact when someone hasn't kept to the precepts. And that's a lot in this culture. <coughs> Keeping to the precepts or rooting ourselves in non-harming actually asks of us a fundamental and revolutionary outlook and practice. Because wouldn't we and our whole culture be transformed in ways that are even hard to imagine if every relationship and every expression was based on non-harming? It, it, it really would be quite incredible. It would be quite, quite amazing. Every place where we are wounded is a place that is acted out in harming if there is no mindfulness and awareness. Every time we are caught in a desire that harms us, every time we are caught in an expression of irritation or anger that is either very harmful or just minimally harmful, we are acting out of a wound where there is no mindfulness and no awareness. Every time we are frustrated or irritated with ourselves, every time we are judgmental, every time we are shut down and contracted, we are living in a wound that has no mindfulness and awareness. Our reenacting the cycles of wounding and harming or violence has nothing to do with being bad people. It has nothing to do with being failures. It has to do with the nature of relationships without awareness. A spiritual practice, therefore, necessarily asks us, even demands of us, that we investigate those wounds, that we investigate the places where there is no awareness or mindfulness, that we look at our habit patterns and our behaviors, and we say, I'm getting to know myself. Oh, oh, this is me. Not that we set up a stereotype to judge ourselves. Not that we demand in this minute that we be free from the cycle. No, we're not enlightened already. But that if our vision for a peaceful society, and if our vision for a peaceful being, and if our vision for a liberated society and a liberated community is going to actualize for us here, for us now, in our lifetimes together, as we live together for the next 20 years and come in the next 20 years to gay and lesbian retreats and continue this opening, we have to ask ourselves, each one of us here, how am I perpetuating the cycle of violence through my wounds? <coughs> Perhaps violence is too hard a word some of the time. 
Perhaps blindness is a better word. The Buddha uses that, blindness. In um, um, a quote on the dependent origination cycle, which is the cycle that the Buddha talks about as to the the relationship of why we come in, why we are here, why each one of us is here. Uh, a man called Vimala um, has retranslated a passage and he says, with the help of this passage, we begin to grasp the central role, oh, I've got the wrong quote here. The, he, he, this is a, a different paper. He talks about the word blindness. He says, Ignorance, which is usually used in Buddhist texts, is the wrong word. The right word is blindness. That what happens when we find ourselves in some kind of expression or identification with something that is hurting in some way, subtle or not, we are blind. That's all. We're blind. We're not seeing. We're just not seeing. So when we talk about why we are making this arduous, arduous effort to be mindful, to yet again feel this next bloody step, you know, when it feels so boring or this painful back when you know it over and over again and it seems non-ending or that, that contraction that I have confronted over and over and over again, but I can't count how many number of hours. We're doing it because every moment of mindfulness and seeing is a moment that challenges the blindness of the cycle of harming. Without mindfulness, there's blindness. And without mindfulness, there's a continual automatic acting out of the wound. And when we act out of the wound, we are caught in desire, grasping, attachment, or aversion, hating, pushing away. And all the kinds of expressions of that dynamic that trickle out into envy, jealousy, and so on. We are whole. Eric has said it and I've said it. We are whole. The refuge that we take, some of us have taken every day, the refuge that we take when we take refuge in the Buddha, the refuge we take when we say, I am already that potential. I am awakened. I am whole. I am seeing. Is present. It's present. And it's wounded. We're not bad, we're not failures. We're whole beings who are also wounded beings. And our healing comes in that acknowledgement. Eric spoke so passionately last night about, and beautifully, because he always does, of course, um, about Buddhist teachers and other teachers who have acted out their own wounds and the effect of that, not only for themselves but on the whole community. 
it's interesting to look at um, two teachers who are extremely eccentric and I think have definitely hovered on the borderline of crazy. <laughs> One is my teacher, Ruth Dennison. <laughs> And the other is Trungpa, <coughs> excuse me, Trungpa. And the reason I think that there are no ramifications around th these actual two teachers, that much ramifications anyway, um, is because even though they in some ways acted in quite strange ways, there was no secrecy around it. There was no secrecy, there was no pretense, there was no attempt to hide. It was out in the open. My teacher Ruth, as crazy as she was, was deeply dedicated and is deeply dedicated to the Dharma. She has no personal life. She lives at the center and you can knock on her door and she will say, yes, darling, come in. <laughs> <laughs> And she's wearing her petticoat. And she's got this um, strange kind of babushka thing on her head. And you, she says, just hold on a minute, I'm changing. And there you are in the private part of her life. And there's no secret about it. There's no personal hiding at all. She is her own expression. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to be there, but there's no pretense. The same was true for Trumpa. He engaged in drinking and he engaged in sexual relationships with his students, which many of us deeply question, but he never hid it and he never pretended. Part of the characteristic of the cycle of violence is the quality of secrecy, is the quality of hiding away, of rationalizing, defending, or justifying. And we build ourselves around this process. That part that we call I is the hardened composite of many, many rationalizations and justifications and explanations for those actions coming out of our woundedness. It is awe-inspiring to me as I start to challenge some of those responses to see how solid they are and how unsubstantiated they are in the external world so much of the time and how much, when I trace them back, they reside in a place of hurt. Some of us carry tremendous amounts of hurt, and others of us, not quite so much. But I hazard the guess that each one of us here carries some amount of hurt. And the spiritual practice is a spiritual practice about opening to those places rather than closing them off. It's about holding them, and it's also about honoring them. Eric said, we couldn't just decide 
to let go and to say, okay, I've had enough of you, wound. Will you just split the scene? Because it actually is alive and has its own dynamic and its own expression, and we are and can only be the witness to it. But as soon as we are the witness to it, as soon as we actually put on our glasses or open our eyes or become aware of what's happening, we begin to walk the road of the deepest healing. Our spiritual practice is about opening to our wounds and it is about taking responsibility for all the places where we hurt outside of ourselves and inside of ourselves because we understand that is our spiritual path. That actually is our healing. At the very center of the volcano of pain is our healing. And it doesn't mean that we should demand the healing to be immediate because that's not the nature of it. We don't have direct control over it. Coming to see is not about controlling or demanding. Coming to see or cultivating awareness is just that. Coming to explore, to open and to see. Who am I? Where have I started to contract and harden and create stories about myself when really at the center of all that is the wound? And that all it's really asking of us is to acknowledge it and to embark on the road of healing. Please do not think that this practice is just about certain experiences when you're sitting and walking. It is about opening to our whole being so that we can situate ourselves in our hearts and that means in loving kindness and awareness. All of ourselves, all places and all spaces. There's this poem by Mary Oliver called Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to you, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. The more we embark on this journey of opening and of acknowledging where we hold and separate, the more we find ourselves in the family of things, the more we feel a sense of home and a sense of finding our place in things that is 
that can be unchallenged and that is unchallenged because it resides in our hearts and in our clarity of mind. You know, in many Vipassana retreats, there is very little question and answer period and very little exchange. And one of the blessings of this particular retreat, I feel, is that there is more opportunity to communicate and to exchange. And for me, it's because I really hold dear the refuge of Sangha. I really hold dear community. And I honestly don't think I could be doing what I'm doing without you. I can't. I am constantly inspired by your courage and by your effort and by your insights and by your love. And I know that I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without Eric's support, without my partner and without my friends and my teachers. I just couldn't be doing it. I don't think that we can embark on our journeys without each other. And I especially don't think we can embark on the journey of opening to our wounds and those dark secret places without each other and without sharing with each other. When Mary Oliver says, tell me about your despair and I will tell you about mine. She is talking about building an open heart and finding our place with each other. The process of coming to see and of challenging the blindness is not only an individual process. It feels very much like a community process as well. We come here to celebrate our capacity to be mindful. We come here to celebrate our capacity to share loving kindness with each other. I think we also come here to share those places in our hearts that are wounded. If not with each other, who? Because if a spiritual practice is about opening our hearts to all of ourselves, then isn't it also about opening ourselves to each other? And what kind of community can we envision unless we do that? And what kind of community can we envision unless we start to tackle very specifically the places where we've refrained and where we've decided this isn't spiritual? How about issues of sexism in the gay lesbian community? Just thinking and looking through the places where we each carry wounds, each one of us here as men and women, and how that expresses itself in our relationship. I know Eric and I work with it. You know, and sometimes we spend a lot of time talking about it and looking at our own dynamic and, and supporting each other to tease out where, where something Eric might have said was sexist, where it triggered my own place of feeling a victim, of feeling unacknowledged or unheard, and starting to find ways to open that wound, share it, and begin to look at, so then where's the healing? 
And it comes from that place, first of all, of sharing, of having the courage to say, yes, we have a vision, and we have that vision that is based deeply on love and respect. And so that means we have to tackle what we don't want to. Who wants to? What about our racism? <coughs> you know, uh, our relationships to people with different abilities physically and emotionally. Not, not as a political agenda to go through in a meeting, but as a commitment to ourselves, because in all those places is a place of hardening and contraction. All those places, there's some place of reenacting a wound. Otherwise, we wouldn't be caught. And our freedom depends on stopping the cycle. There is no other way I know of this opening and healing than practicing mindfulness and loving kindness. As we come towards the end of our retreat, and I think of what it is that feels most important about what I've learned and what I want to communicate, it is that mindfulness in its strength is all-seeing. That is, that it has the capacity to see through these very dense jungles of identity and holding, that mindfulness has the capacity to blaze a light and to help us see what is really true, that it has the capacity to really begin to tease open the threads so that we can see individually what's going on and what we can do. Mindfulness has the capacity to help us disengage. Mindfulness has the capacity to help us connect. It is really the most healing and illuminating quality of the mind. Every moment in our life is an opportunity to be mindful. There are beings in the world who live their life in mindfulness. We are embarking on that journey. Please feel deeply inspired to come back your, to yourself and to understand what your experience is in the context of kindness over and over again, because nothing else will help us to see where we continue to reenact that cycle <coughs> of violence, where we continue to perpetuate the wounds that we carry inside of ourselves and create them outside of ourselves. Please feel invited in each moment possible to come back to yourself and to understand what your experience is and to explore it. There is no other way I know to free ourselves. 
It can be through seeing, it can be through tasting, it can be through hearing, it can be through speech, it can be through any of the bodily movements, it can be through our feelings, it can be through the sensations of pleasant and unpleasant, it can be through our thoughts. Any, any and every experience is always an invitation to be mindful. Any and every experience is always an invitation to call and express loving, loving kindness. <coughs> we both carry the wounds of our society. We've inherited wounds. And at the same time, we have inherited the strength and capacity to heal those wounds. The gifts of being gay, bisexual, transgendered, is that homophobia has awakened us and clarified for us what wounding really means and therefore where the healing road begins. We are the healers, and we were healers thousands of years ago in Native American, Indian, and African cultures. We were the healers then, and we are the healers now. We have everything we need to come to the deepest healing. May each one of us here come to experience the deepest healing possible. And may we be able to share that healing in stopping the cycle of violence and harm. In this way, may all beings come to live in peace within themselves and within each other and with each other. May each one of us here come to live in peace and love, in peace and love with our partners, our friends, our communities, and with all those we come into contact with. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.